there, travelers. Do you love old-time radio shows? Do you love theater that will both thrill and terrify you? Then check out our friends, The Slanted Hallway, a horror anthology podcast that parodies old-time radio and giving you that old-time thrill. They prepared for us a little snippet of what to expect from them, so check them out. Take it away, guys. Bruce Bruce was a normal billionaire's son, when one day, everything changed. No, Bruce! Look out! You're about to run off that cliff! What cliff? Whoa! <gasps> Get away from me, Sales! Get away! Bruce, still thinking about the seals, I see. It's time you forget about those damn seals. Why don't you come with your mother and I to the opera tonight? I am a seal, a seal devil. Daddy, please, I can't take it anymore. <sighs> well, here we are in the dark, rat-infested area. Bruce, is this better for you? Mommy, ah! did he know? Search The Slanted Hallway wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast contains adult content suitable for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. I ain't like that anymore. I don't kick off like before. I'm more relaxed, I'm all formed, I hate Welcome, fire. traveler, to the morbid forest. Hey, hey, hey now. What do we have here, Larry? Well, aren't you just the cutest furry little traveler. <laughs> How did you get across the divide? <laughs> now, now, you two. Your favorite ranger is here to set things right. We'll get you on your way, my furry little traveler. <laughs> because I can't have you turning into the cats that destroyed the world. Mission Recruit Aldo happened to glance out a window port just in time to observe an escape module eject from a hatch on the starboard bow. A couple of erratic bursts from the thrusters changed its course in a sharp curve, sending it hurtling past the window port at less than 50 yards. It was close enough for Aldo to get a good look at the occupant inside. He was horrified to see that it was bonkers. One of the six cats that served as rat control aboard the Lucy 13. The tabby was wildly flailing her legs and spinning like a top in the zero gravity environment. Her eyes as wide as saucers and her mouth gaping open in a silent yowl of terror. He whispered, Oh shit. And ran for the nearest horn to call command deck. This was a BFM in the making. 
BFM was a universal acronym used throughout the space mining industry. It stood for Big Fucking Mess. Aldo called the starboard command deck, and Chief Petty Officer Vertal answered with an impatient, What is your malfunction, mission recruit? Do I need to come down there and show you how to push a mop? Alto sputtered. Sir, an escape module just detected from hatch in section K. There was muttering of voices as Vertal told the deck crew to check on the status of the escape pods. He came back on the horn and grunted. That's affirmative. There's a pod ejection over a minute ago. Hustle over to K right now and see what's happening. Aldo swallowed a lump of dread in his throat. Timidly, he said, Sir, um, I made visual contact with the occupant inside the pod. It was, uh, it was, uh, well, it was one of the cats. He was answered with a long moment of incredulous silence, followed by, What the fuck? What in the almighty fuck did you just tell me, recruit? A fucking cat? How in the hell? I really don't know, sir. Alto answered in a pleading tone. I, I saw it happen through a window port while I was swapping the main corridor in section J. She must have gotten in there somehow and launched it by accident. Vertil snorted. Somehow? What cat just somehow got through a locked door? Tell me something, recruit. Who is responsible for swapping the floors in section K? Alto closed his eyes and sighed. Me. I'm responsible for section J, K, and L. Well, that means you're the only living soul down there with the key card. Unless maybe the cat has one too. Refresh my memory, recruit. Did we just issue key cards to fucking cats? No, sir. Aldo mumbled. I'm the only one down here with a card. I'm checking the entry logs right now. And it looks like you opened up the entrance to the escape module about uh, 45 minutes ago. You put the door on hold and you left it on hold? Stupid son of a bitch! Aldo started to protest, but the chief petty officer interrupted him with a roar of pure, unadulterated fury. He bellowed, Tell me the pod launched away from Delta Moon. Tell me the autopilot system didn't home in on Delta. Fucking please! Aldo grimaced and answered, The, the cat was freaking out. I think it must have hit the thrusters a few times. It changed course and, uh, yeah. The autopilot definitely locked onto the Delta Moon. And, and then he ordered Aldo to stay put and wait for security to escort him to the deck. Aldo closed his eyes again and answered, Yes, sir. I'll be right there. Vertil growled. Keep mopping, recruit. Finish the floor while you're here waiting on the bot. Chief Petty Officer disconnected with another word, leaving the young mission recruit standing there with tears welling in his eyes. He was in deep shit. And if the escape pod landed on Delta, everyone was in deep shit. From the lowest recruit right up to the captain of Lucy 13, the ministry would issue a massive fine to the North American mining concern. They might even revoke their contract. And then everyone aboard the Lucy 13 would find themselves out of a job. The ministry didn't mess around when it came to the Preservation Act. Heads were about to roll, and his stupid melon would undoubtedly be the first on the chopping block. Aldo muttered, Fuck this job. And he started shoving the mop across the floor with sharp, bitter movements. 
Delta was the fourth largest moon of the gas giant RVD-245. It was more commonly known in the space mining industry as the Golden Colossus, or Goldie for short. Goldie lay at the outer edge of a dead solar system. Its star had expanded into a red giant many millions of years ago, devouring most of its orbiting planets and boiling away the atmosphere from the rest of them. Out of the 12 planets, only the Golden Colossus had survived. When the red giant eventually collapsed into a white dwarf, it left 11 scorched rocks floating in the void, all of them rich in metal ores. It was the North American mining concern's wildest dream come true. Even Goldie's swarm of moons were all rich in precious metals and valuable elements. The entire solar system was a space miner's paradise. However, there was still one pocket of life to be found in this cosmic crypt, the Delta Moon. It was slightly larger than planet Earth, big enough to have an active magnetic sphere to protect it from a majority of Goldie's intense radiation. Delta's upper atmosphere was swirling with particulate matter from the intermittent eruptions of the volcanoes which smoldered away at its poles, creating a benign sort of gas house effect that allowed for both liquid water and complex forms of life. The ministry had suspected as much for almost a century, but after it had been confirmed by a series of drone missions, the Delta Moon was given protected status under the Alien Preservation Act. After 900 years of humankind ruthlessly mining every planet, asteroid, and comet we could get our greedy hands on, the Preservation Act was put in place to protect alien ecosystems from human interference. Mining contracts could not legally be awarded by the ministry until they had asserted there would be no appreciable disruption to life. Until then, any outside interference would be met with crushing fines and the possibility of a lengthy sentence at a deep space penal colony. Penal colonies were notorious for being little pockets of hell in the void. Some of them weren't even equipped with artificial gravity, and cannibal riots were a fairly common occurrence in a few of the more remote institutions. The probability of being murdered in one of these colonies could run as high as 50%. Their very existence was a fairly effective deterrent against space piracy, unethical mining practices, and of course, violation of the APA. The ministry had discovered Delta's atmosphere was almost identical to planet Earth, which created quite a stir among the scientific community. The drone missions had painted a vivid picture of a rich and varied ecosystem, creating even more excitement. But the ministry still didn't know about the most exciting thing of all. The golden egg they'd been chasing for centuries was right there. Living beneath the thick canopy of the equatorial jungle, Delta was home to intelligent life. These diminutive creatures had descended from a bird-like ancestor 
a flightless land dweller similar to an ostrich. They had fallen into an evolutionary path that saw them slowly shrink in stature, gradually developing appendages similar to arms along the way. Their plumage became an illustrious coat of fur that shimmered in breathtaking hues of blue, orange, and crimson, and their eyes evolved to make the most of the dim lighting beneath the canopy of the jungle. By the time the first ministry drone had entered Delta's atmosphere, the bird-like ancestors had fully evolved into Aquarian society of Stone Age humanoids. They called themselves the People, and very soon, their kind would be extinct. Delta's last Ice Age had lasted about 200,000 years, wiping out almost all the land-dwelling fauna. Any species that was too large to retreat underground eventually perished in the frozen wastelands. The end result was a complete lack of larger carnivores. The people lived without fear of predation. This was a good thing because they were very, very small. They stood an average height of six inches high, and they weighed roughly half a pound. Their villages were idyllic farming collectives, all of them working together to cultivate crops of mushrooms and tubers, Arguments were rare, and violence was a concept that simply did not exist. The Delta Moon sky was perpetually smudged by a dull fog of volcanic debris, so the people had no understanding of outer space, other worlds, or even the scope of their own planet. Life was easy in this land of plenty, so they had no incentive to ponder the future. There was only now, and then tomorrow, and then the day after that. With no weapons, defense mechanisms, or even the ability to think in terms of the future, the people were completely and utterly unprepared for what was about to descend upon them. The escape pod's autopilot system deftly guided it through a turbulent entrance into the Delta's thick upper atmosphere. This was the most terrifying part of the journey for poor Bonkers, who mercifully blacked out during entry. She became conscious again while the module was floating down to the ground far below, bobbing and weaving beneath a giant parachute as the jungle canopy grew closer every second. There was another rough spot when the pod broke through an upper frond and bashed its way to the ground, making her squeal in terror as she was flounced and joust around the interior of the module. It finally thunked into a soft ground below. Thud! And the thatch popped open with a loud <laughs> After that, all was quiet and still in the jungle once again. Eventually, a pink nose and tangle of whiskers appeared. The nose sniffed at the air and immediately sneezed. That brief little sniff had contained a startling array of scents, more scents than Bonkers had ever encountered throughout the duration of her life on a space freighter. She slithered out of the pod and immediately climbed into the lower fronds of a nearby tree staring at her surroundings with her ears flattened against her skull. She could sense life all around her, 
life of all kinds in virtually every nook and cranny of the jungle. Was it dangerous? She backed herself against a massive trunk of the tree and continued sampling the warm, dusty air with her tail lashing around in agitation. She couldn't smell any predators, not yet, anyway. But she did smell prey. Lots and lots of prey. Multitudes of creatures, both helpless and small. She cautiously scuttled back down and hunkered at the base of the tree, nostrils delicately flaring as she assessed her surroundings. Bonkers had somehow transitioned from following her favorite human around as he did his human things to this. Crouching low to the ground in an untouched wilderness that was literally crawling with life. Her simple little brain was nearly short-circuiting from the enormity of the change. Bonkers still couldn't sense any large carnivores nearby, but the scent of prey was almost overwhelming. She began to stalk her way through the undergrowth, eyes wide and wild as her biological imperatives took control. There were many things to hunt in this place, more than all the rats aboard all the freighter ships in the entire galaxy. She could find them, and she would kill them all, because killing was what she was designed to do. Her gait became more confident with every step she took. At 10 pounds, 6 ounces of limber ferocity, Bonkers was officially at the top of the Delta food chain. It was time to hunt. Back on Lucy 13, Captain Munez was listening with a deepening frown as Aldo recounted the events which led to Bonkers getting ejected from the escape hatch. He was still wrapped in the metallic grip of the security boot that had detained him down in Section J, and there was nothing in the captain's furious gaze that indicated he might be released anytime soon. One of her eye sockets was an ugly ring of scar tissue that housed a digital eye, an unnerving device which gleamed a cold shade of blue. Aldo tried to concentrate on the captain's human eye while he was talking. The digital one made him want to squirm. Captain Munez patiently waited for his halting, stumbling story to finish. She folded her arms in front of her and said, Mission recruits, you fucked up pretty bad today, didn't you? Aldo nodded, the only movement he could accomplish in the security boot's coffin-like embrace. Yes, Captain Munez. He sniffled. Yes, yes, I sure did. She nodded back and said, Good. Then we agree on something. So, it appears our missing pod landed near the equator on the eastern half of the globe. The hatch opened, so we can assume the cat got out and is still alive. No one's sure what kind of impact that's going to have on the ecosystem, but we can also assume that it won't be positive. Are we still in agreement? Yes, Captain. Aldo muttered quietly. Now, let me tell you something. She continued. Her voice was calm, but her electric eye was now blazing a furious shade of dark purple. We're all full of germs. You, me, Chief Petty Officer Vardal over there, and even that fucking cat. We all have germs. Most of them can't hurt us. 
But there's a good chance they may be able to hurt something from another world. Agreed. Aldo nodded again. Muniz nodded back and said, Good. So in summary, we could say that you, despite all the precautions we have in place to prevent this kind of thing from happening, you managed to release a murderous little bioweapon onto the surface of the Delta Moon. Are we still agreeing with each other, you incompetent, shitlick little bastard of a mission recruit? His words barely audible, Aldo wheezed. Yes, but... but I... She roared. I can't goddamn well hear you, boy. And Aldo let out a yelp of pure terror. The young recruit blinked back his tears and weakly hollered. Yes, Captain. We are in agreement. Good. Now this is what we're going to do, okay? We're going to head back to Goldie and lock into orbit around Delta. You and CPO Vardal are going to take a lander module down to the surface. You're going to find both the escape pod and the cat, and you're going to bring them back. I'll give you four hours to complete this mission. Vertle turned to her with a look of sharp dismay and sputtered, Captain, I'm not the one who left the door open. Why do I have to be the one to go down to the surface? This is his fault, not mine. You're piss poor at doing your job. That's why. Captain Muniz snapped. The entrance to the escape modules was on hold for 45 minutes, and you never thought to check it out? It's your command deck, Bartle. You're responsible for everything that happens under your command, good or bad. Why are you shirking your responsibilities? Vertle looked down at his shoes. The captain eyed him sourly and added, I've heard about you. No one likes you. And do you know why? Because a good CPO isn't a shitty little tyrant. A good CPO would never push the blame onto their crew. Vertle flushed a deep, ugly red. Captain Muniz glared at him, silently daring him to say something, anything at all. Aldo cleared his throat and choked. <clears throat> I have a question, Captain. Ask away, recruit. Aldo licked his lips nervously and asked, What happens if we can't find the cat? The captain skewered him with her electric glare and shook her head. If you fail to apprehend the cat, I won't let you board the ship. I'll tell Noram you stole the escape pod, and that'll be the end of it. Vertle clenched his fist and barked. Are you crazy? You can't do that. She pointed at the inky blackness on the other side of the window port and sneered. I wouldn't bet on it. People disappear in the void all the time. No one's going to come looking for you. She ordered the boot to release Aldo, and she told the reluctant duo to get ready to launch. As the security boot escorted them back to the door, Captain Munez called out, I'm not going to sink my entire career over a fucking cat. Do you understand me? Find the cat and the pod or you're not coming back. Bonkers made her first kill within minutes of setting off into the jungle. The victim was one of Delta's top predators, an inch-long rodent that hunted two worms with its whip-like tail. Bonkers made short work of the former champ, then moved on to obliterate a nest of flightless birds that were distant relatives to the people. They could do nothing but scream in terror and die beneath her claws. 
She moved on once again, restlessly tracking hundreds of mingling scent trails, all of them rich with the promise of easy prey. It wasn't long before she encountered the first village, a collection of mud huts encircling a tiny fire pit. She was spotted by a villager who sounded the alarm with a high-pitched squeak that immediately drove the tabby into a murderous frenzy. She pounced on the tiny creature as he ran for his hut and bit off his head. The following 90 seconds of pure, unadulterated chaos, and then it was over. Bonkers had killed everyone in the entire village, leaving a horrific mess of scattered body parts and mangled corpses in her wake. She followed a trail that led to a second village, and the scene played out once again. The trail was a common road built by the people to link scores of villages together, inadvertently giving the tabby a roadmap for mass murder. Bonkers killed and killed again, destroying villages and cramming her belly full with delectable alien innards well into the night. Eventually, she ran out of steam, and the marooned freighter cat abruptly realized that it was very dark and she was all alone. She mewled and cried for her humans to come rescue her. When no one came, she resigned herself to her fate and found a soft patch of moss to sleep on. The feline invader awoke just before dawn, momentarily confused and afraid in the dark. Bonkers started meowing for her people again, but then she remembered the taste of blood. She was free to explore all the rich smells of the dark earth and lush vegetation, and she could hunt to her heart's content. Head scratches and kind words were nice, but killing was infinitely better. Right around the time Bonkers was engaging in a long and sultry morning stretch, the Lucy 13 locked into a tight orbit around Delta. A hatch opened on the port side of the massive freighter, releasing a tiny metallic speck into the void. It was a lander module. CPO Vertel was at the controls and mission recruit Aldo was in the passenger seat. He was a mess of screaming nerves and fluttering stomach. He didn't like being outside the protective walls of the Lucy 13 one bit. Space was too dark, too vast, directionless, and infinite. It made him feel woefully insignificant. The lander cruised its way down to Delta, with Goldie looming in the background, a massive orbit of racing clouds and unimaginable violent storms. CPO Vertel navigated their entry with a practiced hand. He looked over at Aldo's pale, sweating face and said, Better get used to it, recruit. You're gonna be on surface duty for the next six months. I'll make sure of it. They homed in on the escape pod's rescue signal and landed nearby in a natural clearing. Although the atmosphere was breathable for Earthlings, they both wore landing suits to protect the environment from their germs, as well as isolating themselves from the unknown microbes that dwelled on Delta's surface. The suits were heavy, cumbersome, and hot. With the temperature hovering at just over 100 degrees Fahrenheit, both men were soon covered in a film of greasy sweat. 
they wrestled the pod onto the gravity shield and stowed into the cargo hold on the lander. Sweating buckets beneath the rigid confines of his suit, Aldo gasped. How are we supposed to find a cat down here? You can't see more than 10 feet away in this undergrowth. Vertle tapped the screen on the back of his gauntlet and said, System can track the little shithead down all kinds of ways. We'll find it. Probably scared out of its mind or hiding somewhere. Look, we already got a hit. Let's go. They followed the cat's meandering path through the jungle, pushing through an unfamiliar vegetation with as much care as they could muster in the heat. They were both tired and more than a little traumatized by their encounter with the captain, who was rumored to have lost her eye while engaging in hand-to-hand -hand combat with a band of maraudering or pirates. She was a tough old space dog who had invested interest in protecting her ship, its cargo, and the good standing of the Norram mining concern in the eyes of the Ministry. She had no concern whatsoever for the low-ranking officer and his bumbling oath of a mission recruit. Their future depended on finding the cat before their time was up, and the clock was ticking. The lander didn't have enough fuel to take them very far. They could either find the cat or be stranded on an alien world. Aldo and Vertle soon began to find dead creatures and various kinds on the ground. A wandering path of murder that gradually led to another clearing in the jungle. It was the site of the first village to fall beneath the homicidal fury of Bonkers, the cat. They both froze and stared in slacked-jaw dismay at the aftermath of the freighter's cat's frenzied assault. Verta leaned down to study a diminutive structure that had been deftly peeled open with sharp claws, and he shook his head in wonder. There's furniture in here, he whispered. A little fire pit and everything. This is a house, Aldo. And that's a cultivated field over there. Look, you can see how this fungus is all lined up in rows. These things were intelligent. This is exactly what the Ministry is looking for, right here, and... He trailed off, and the two men shared a look of pure horror. His voice trembling, Vertel said, we, we can't tell anyone, especially not the captain. She'll court-martial us right then and there. They'd launch us out the airlock and use our bodies for target practice. Aldo squinted at his gauntlet and pointed to the far side of the village. He said, There's a little path over here that leads into the jungle. That's where she went. Vertel shook his head again at the crumpled bodies at his feet. He glared at Aldo and snarled. Come on, dickhead. Let's snatch that little fucker and get out of here. Shortly after the lander module had descended to Delta's surface, a NORAM personnel carrier docked with the Lucy 13, which was promptly boarded by an armed company of Special Forces troops. They were led by Admiral Boswick, one of the top commanders in the NORAM Security Division. The intruders swept their way across the ship in a surging wave of black fatigue and laser-guided carabines sending people scattering for cover with the crashing echo of their jackbooted feet. They barged into the main command deck with no resistance from the guards, and Admiral Boswick immediately stormed over to glower down at Captain Munez. She greeted Boswick with narrowed eyes and put her fist to her heart in the Norram salute. 
she asked. To what do I owe the pleasure of your company, Admiral? Boswick growled. Let's get straight to the point, Captain. We intercepted a rescue signal from one of your escape modules. It's coming from the surface of Delta. What the hell is going on here? Yunez hesitated, then calmly answered. There was a malfunction, sir. We're working to rectify the situation right now. The Admiral nodded his massive, shaggy head in mock agreement and said, Well, I'm sure it's all under control then. No need to worry about the Protection Act. We'll just tell them that we're working to rectify the situation, correct? Tell me, Captain, how exactly are we doing that? Please explain. She fought to keep her expression neutral and said, With the landing crew, sir, we're retrieving the pod and bringing it back as we speak. The Admiral looked her in the eye until Munez dropped her gaze. He said, I have eyes everywhere, Captain. I already know what happened. This is a BFM of staggering proportions. I'm here to relieve you of your command. You're under arrest. Munez closed her eyes and grimaced. Softly, she said, You don't have to do that, Oswick. We can sweep this under the rug. It's already happening. The Admiral stared at her for a long, agonizing moment. And then a look of amusement slowly spread across his face. He flapped his hand at her and started to laugh. <laughs> I'm fucking with you, Munez. I'm not going to do that. In fact, I want to thank you, because this fuck-up was the catalyst for a very important decision. Now don't get me wrong, Captain. Noram isn't very happy with you right now. That's why I came in hot like this. But don't worry, it's all for show. This will blow over pretty soon. A few months of relaxing in the simulated beach, and you'll be back at the helm again. Does that sound good? Cautiously, Munez asked. What are you talking about? The Admiral pointed down at Delta and said, Thorium. Noram funded a private study of their own, and they're about 99% sure there's enough thorium under the surface to power a million reactors. The only thing stopping us is the APA. But the Protection Act only regulates mining operations on living planets, not dead ones. Munez blinked up at him and murmured, What are you proposing, Admiral? I don't understand. The cat is just a bit of contamination, he said briskly. It's not good enough. We need total and complete annihilation. Say goodbye to your command chair and pack your bags, because we're going to dump the Lucy 13. Faintly, Munez said. What? The hold is full of ore, Admiral. That's a huge loss for the mining concern. Oswick frowned and impatiently shook his head. Big fucking deal. No one cares about the ore in the cargo hold. It's a dump in a bucket compared to the riches down below. Initiate the evacuation procedures, Captain. Your crew can board my carrier. I expect everyone to be on board within 30 minutes, or they're going down with the Lucy 13. Understanding dawned across the captain's face. She blinked up at him and asked, What about the Ministry? There'll be an investigation. Boswick shushed her with a raised finger. He said, They don't know yet? but the Ministry is on its way out. They're standing in the way of progress, and frankly, 
There are people in high places who are getting tired of it. There's money to be made out here. More money than you and I can possibly imagine. The bottom line is that we have to stop worrying about a bunch of alien tadpoles and get down to the business of mining. The Eurasian mining concern hasn't been regulated for decades now. So why aren't we doing the same? The Admiral leaned in closer and purred. By the time you get back from your vacation, the Ministry will no longer exist. It's the dawn of a new era in space mining, Captain. This is history in the making. He looked down at Delta again, a precarious spark of life in the vast graveyard of space, and he turned off the video feed with a brisk stub of the finger. Progress, he said. There's nothing more beautiful than progress. Start the evacuation, Captain. We'll leave in half an hour. Bertel and Aldo found Bonkers in the middle of another village massacre. She dropped the bloody corpse in her mouth and scampered up to her humans with unadulterated joy, expecting a shower of love and praise for the job well done. Instead, she was shoved into a cat carrier as the bird-like cries of the people rang through the air behind her. The surviving villagers scrambled to escape the horrifying giants who had stomped into their midst, abandoning the dead and dying to suffer their fate. Jesus Christ, what a clusterfuck. Aldo panted. Okay, let's get back to the lander. We don't have much time. CPO Vertel gave the young recruit a flat, merciless grin, and he flicked off the safety switch on his sidearm. He pointed it at Aldo and said, You know what? No, not you, motherfucker. Aldo tried to run, but it was far too late. Vertel squeezed the trigger, and Aldo collapsed onto the ground, his helmet now fused to his smoking cranium in a scorched, unrecognizable mass. Vertel kicked the body in the ribs just for good measure, and he scooped up the cat carrier with shaking hands. He gasped beneath the weight of his suit as he hustled back to the lander. He arrived with 15 minutes left to spare, exhausted and trembling from an overload of adrenaline. Vertel stumbled into the lander and wheezed. Fuck you. You're not leaving me behind. He initiated the lander's autopilot and hurried outside to clear away the undergrowth from the intake ports. While he was furiously tearing away a tangle of vines, the unthinkable happened. The lander closed its hatch, and with a violent rumbling from its engines, it shot straight up into the sky. Vertel was knocked to the ground with the force of the blast. The lander was gone within seconds, rapidly disappearing in the murky cloud cover high above. Vertel sat up and screamed. What the fuck? What the fuck just happened? The autopilot had chosen to blast off without warning, as it was programmed to do in the face of an immediate emergency. But why did that happen? What the hell was the emergency? Seconds later, Vertel heard it, a thundering groan in the heavens above. He stared in disbelief as fiery projectiles began to rain from the sky. Vertel's breath caught in his throat. He knew what was about to happen. No. He murmured. Oh my God, no. And then, the flaming hull of the Lucy 13 was shoved through the cloud cover, and a noise like thunder drowned out Vertel's hysterical screams. The ship was half a mile 
long, a quarter of a mile wide, and its cargo hold was full of metallic ore. It was also equipped with heavy munition, several nuclear cannons, and a thorium power plant that generated an enormous amount of energy. It was the bomb to end all bombs, and the explosion was seen clear across the entire star cluster. Delta was swept by a raging tsunami of nuclear hellfire, and all that dwindled beneath the opaque veil of its skies was obliterated forever. Back on the personnel carrier, the first mate spun around in his chair and called out, Admiral, we have some company. Boswick and Munez studied the screen in disbelief. You've got to be kidding me, Boswick snapped. It's the lander from the Lucy 13. All right, let it dock. Let's see who survived. A tech called up from the dock and informed Boswick there was only one occupant in the lander, a cat. Boswick looked over at Munez and said, Well, it looks like Whiskers came home. The autopilot must have guided her to the closest ship. It's a good thing for Kitty we weren't in a hurry, or she would have run out of fuel trying to catch us. The poor thing will have to be quarantined for at least a month. Munez sighed. I feel sorry for the cat. She destroyed an entire world, and it wasn't even her fault. Progress. Admiral Boswick rumbled. Nothing can stand in the way of progress. Just a few alien tadpoles. Munez said reflectively, and she absently shook her head. I'll keep telling myself that. I guess I'll believe it soon enough. Progress. Boswick repeated, and he poured them both a stiff drink from the minibar. You can't stop it. Don't even try. Cheers, Munez. Here's to a new era. A new era. She agreed, and they both knocked back their drinks with a bitter grimace. Boswick put down his glass and quickly said, It doesn't matter if you like it or not. The galaxy is up for sale, and after humankind pillages it from end to end, we'll start on the next one. There's no turning back at this point, even if we wanted to. The only way to keep feeding the machine is to mine larger amounts of ore for the sole purpose of creating more machines. Stopping this cycle would spell the end of humanity. There's nothing that can be done except to keep pulling forward. It's a long distance race with no finish line. The end of the race is extinction, so the race can never end. Munez blinked away a sudden film of tears from her living eye. The other remained cold and dry, shining a dim turquoise from the depths of her scar tissue. She poured herself another drink and muttered, I know that. I'm not stupid. That's the spirit! Boswick agreed, and they both drank in silence as Goldie receded in the background. A new era loomed on the horizon. Consume or be consumed was the sole directive of this brave new age in space exploration. All other tenants were meaningless, antiquated, and lost in the void. Mercy was not profitable. It was a dusty relic of the ancient past, buried in stardust and eulogized by the ghosts of our ancestors. Progress is the future, and the future is dark.
This has been a Morbid Forest production. On this week's episode, you've heard The Cat That Destroyed the World, written by T.W. Grimm, with narration by Naomi Richards, Ron Hyatt, Matthew Trevino, and Sean Moreau. Our theme music this season is Firestorm by Danny Schmidt. You may be familiar with T.W. Grimm as he has appeared on the No Sleep podcast many times and has graced us with his presence on our lovely little show. (laughs) He also has his own podcast called The Grimm Harvest where you can hear all of his spooky tales. Thanks again, T.W., for letting us use your work. We had so much fun doing this story. (laughs) Do you like dark fantasy horror? Then you need to check out moon crown right away it's available on all streaming platforms the story is crazy and kooky and if you like ghosts and vampires and necromancy and a little bit of lore about the moon you'll definitely want to check out moon crown i don't want to give too much away because it's just amazing and i love the podcast (laughs) you can follow us on twitter and on instagram at the morbid forest you can also send us a little love letter at the morbid forest at gmail.com We'll see you next time, travelers, on The Morbid Forest.